Welcome to the Women's Investor Community Podcast. I'm Diana Ritchie. Topic for today's episode is process. And the first question you should ask yourself, especially with a topic as boring as process, is why do I care? And the reality is that when we think about money and our personal finances and saving and investing, it is really easy to fall into a spiral of fear and anxiety, um, uncertainty, confusion, not knowing where to turn. And this could be something as simple as not wanting to look at your credit card bill for the month because you know that you spent a lot of money, to staying up awake at night because you know you have too much debt and you feel really out of control. So in this episode, we are going to lay out a three-step process that will help you conceptualize your personal finances and get your arms around the situation. It will give you a framework for making sure that all of your I's are dotted and all of your T's are crossed when it comes to your money and your personal stuff. So let's dive in. Process part one, this is just big picture overview. Process part one, manifest the money and the income that you want, because it's a lot easier to manage your money when you have enough of it to support the life that your soul authentically wants to live. Process part two is organize your systems, because if your money is organized and your accounts are organized, it actually makes it a heck of a lot easier and more effortless to save and also to spend freely. And then part three of the process is invest. Invest well, because investing and the rate of return that you get on your money is one of the biggest determinants of your financial circumstances. So let's take a closer look at each one of these parts. Part one, manifest the income that you want. So much ink has been spilled about manifestation and what it is and what it means. And it usually goes something like, wake up every morning, look at yourself in the mirror, give yourself a big smile and say over and over, I am a multimillionaire. I am a multimillionaire. Or I am debt-free. I am debt-free. Something along these lines. And frankly, it's a really tragic interpretation of manifestation because the reality is, yes, you can manifest anything that you want. You can manifest the income that you want, the saving that you want, the career that you want, the life and the relationships and the lifestyle that you want. You can manifest all of that. But the key to manifestation is that it is a subconscious game. In order to manifest, you have to work on what's going on in your subconscious. Let's make that a little more tangible with some examples. Um, Let's take some examples from the personal finance realm. Let's say, for example, that you, for the last year, have been calling in a promotion at work, right? You'd like to get a promotion. 
and you'd like to get a raise because you'd like to make more money. And you've been calling this in for a year and nothing's happening. And everyone around you is getting promoted and they're getting promoted even though they're not as qualified and they're not working as hard and you're getting really frustrated with the process. And then we start to look at your childhood and your background and perhaps we discover that you were raised in a really religious household. And the message that you got as a child was money is evil. Money is sinful. Um, You know, good people, people who are, you know, religious and um, faithful and who have faith and who have a good moral compass, they don't have money because again, money is evil, money is sinful, these kinds of concepts. If your soul authentically desires a promotion and more income and your subconscious is looping on this concept that money is evil and money is sinful and you don't want it and you shouldn't have it, it's no wonder that your promotion isn't coming through because the reality is that our subconscious beliefs, whether they're subconscious limiting beliefs or constructive subconscious beliefs, it's those subconscious beliefs that are determining our external reality. Give you another example. Maybe your soul authentically desires entrepreneurship, right? You have an idea that you want to put out in the world. You want the independence and the challenge of forging your own path, starting your own business. But both of your parents you saw growing up worked stable corporate careers. And so the message that's looping in your subconscious is in order to make money, you need to stay in a stable career. You need to work for a big company or um, work for someone else. And you need to collect a paycheck every two weeks. And that is the way to financial success. And so if you want to start this business, if that's what your soul authentically desires, you'll need to do some work on those subconscious, in this case, limiting beliefs around the notion that being financially successful means staying in a stable corporate gig, for example. So that's all great. You know, we understand the concept, the subconscious is driving the show. The question is, nuts and bolts, what do we do about it? And the answer here is there are a lot of different ways to work with your subconscious. There's EMDR therapy, the eye movement desensitization and reprogramming therapy that you can do with a therapist. Um, Psychedelic assisted therapy is an area where there's a lot of research going on. um, And that will certainly get down into your subconscious. The program in the path that I've found most effective is called to be magnetic. It goes by TBM or to be magnetic TBM. And in this program, it's founded by a woman named Lacey Phillips. And she has a whole manifestation process and gives you really concrete guidance on how to manifest. And a key part of her process is playing these guided meditations. So 
every morning I'll get up, I'll put in my earbuds, my, you know, headphones, and I'll listen to this 20 or 30 minute guided meditation that has these binaural beats, this music that plays in the background that brings your subconscious forward and lets you work with some of these subconscious beliefs that were picked up in childhood or elsewhere. Um, and lets you kind of change what's looping down there. And it's one of the most effective ways that I've found to work with the subconscious and to actually manifest a life that's aligned with your authenticity. So big picture, just to recap, um, step one of the financial planning process is manifest the income that you want because it is a lot easier to manage your personal finances when you have enough money to support the life that is authentic to you. Okay, part two of the financial planning process. Organize your systems. So often, we are told that in order to get our spending and our saving under control, we need to have spreadsheets and trackers and apps, and we need to save receipts, and we need to track every cup of coffee that we buy and these use these kinds of systems. And if these kinds of systems work for you, then that's great. By all means, keep using them. If these kinds of systems drive you crazy, there is an alternative. The alternative here is called mental accounting. And mental accounting is a concept um, that Richard Thaler, Nobel laureate from the University of Chicago, and Cass Sunstein, now professor at Harvard Law, wrote about in their book, Nudge. And I mention this to give this concept of mental accounting um, some academic heft, because when I describe it to you, you might think that this sounds absolutely simplistic, totally intuitive, and maybe too even too easy or too simple to be effective. But studies show, and, and it has been proven, and it also passes the common sense test, that if you set up your finances in an organized way, you are a lot more likely to reach your savings goals because it makes it easier and more effortless to save. So with mental accounting and organizing your systems, what exactly are we talking about? What does this look like? Um, basically, the concept here is that you have different buckets for different areas of your financial life. For example, you might have a checking account that is your bucket for your regular saving and or your regular, sorry, not saving, your regular spending. So your daily, weekly, monthly expenses, you know, come out of this checking account, your paycheck comes into the checking account, you pay your credit card bill and your rent out of this checking account. Then you might have a retirement account, like a 401k, for example, 
that's dedicated to your long-term savings, the savings that you invest and don't touch. Then you might have other types of accounts. For example, if you're um, if you have a child and you're you want to save for that child's college education, you might have a 529 plan account. Um, if you're saving for a big purchase and you want to set aside a dedicated amount of money, right? Like if you're um, saving for the down payment on a home that you'd like to buy, you might have a savings account where you house the savings for your new home. You get the idea. Having one account, one bucket for each category of your financial life can actually be really helpful. Um, Again, I know that sounds wildly simplistic, but it really does make it easier to save if you have your accounts organized in this way. And just to kind of for illustration, give you the counterfactual, right? If you have, you know, dozens of different accounts at dozens of different financial institutions, and you have kind of random amounts of money scattered in those accounts, it makes it a lot easier to feel like your financial life is under control. Similarly, if you only have one account, maybe it's your checking account, and you just let your quote unquote savings pile up in your checking account and you have this huge balance in your checking account, it's a lot easier to just spend it down because you think, okay, well, the money's there and I want to buy this thing. And so I'm just going to spend it because in your mind, you haven't dedicated any kind of saving as reserve. You know, you don't have a dedicated account for your long-term savings. So that's the concept. Organize your financial life. One nuts and bolts question that often comes up around this concept is, should I use automatic transfers? And the answer to that is yes, absolutely. Um, Automatic transfers can be like pouring fuel on the fire for your bucket account system. So the classic example of this is, you know, if, if you have a steady, if you have a steady income stream, let's say you get a paycheck every two weeks, you can go to your HR department. And if your employer offers a 401k plan, you can say to your employer, Hey, I'd like you to take 10% of every paycheck and just automatically put it in my 401k. And many of you probably already do this, you know, take this percentage of my paycheck and just put it in my 401k. And the beauty of setting up that kind of automatic transfer is that from a psychological perspective, you never even see that money. And so it's a lot less tempting to spend money that you never see. In other words, if that money automatically goes into your 401k, you never see it in your paycheck. It makes it a lot easier to save, makes it a lot more effortless. The other thing that comes up here often is analysis paralysis. 
So, you know, women often say to me, well, I really want to set up this account system. And I've been meaning to set up that, you know, IRA that I wanted to set up, but there are so many different types of accounts and so many different tax implications and there are HSAs and FSAs and IRAs and all these different acronyms. And I haven't done anything because I'm so confused about which types of accounts to set up. And if that is you, please um, feel free to reach out, send us a question on the website. We're more than happy to help you kind of untangle the knot and get the information that you need to move forward. Okay, so big picture, financial planning process, step two is organize your accounts. Organize your money into buckets because it makes it a lot easier to save. It makes saving a lot more effortless. And when saving is effortless, it makes it a lot more likely that you're actually going to save and reach your financial goals. Okay, financial planning process, part three. Part three of the financial planning process is invest, invest well. And the reality is that so often, you know, we are told the story that, you know, financial success or financial stability is about getting a great job, having a great career and making a lot of money. The reality is that in our current system, the rate of return that you get on your investments is probably the greatest driver of your financial circumstances. Let me illustrate that to make it a little more tangible to kind of illustrate what I'm talking about here. Let's take a case study. Let's take a hypothetical woman named Julia. And Julia is 30 years old. She lives in Kansas City, Missouri. And Julia, a few years back, founded um, a really successful line of clothing boutiques. And her business has grown. She's now got four boutiques, and they're doing her business is doing really well. And every year, Julia is able to pay herself a salary of $200,000 out of her business, which is great. She also set up a solo Roth 401k, which is a 401k for self-employed people like Julia. And she's got $50,000 in that 401k right now. And Julie is looking to the future. She's thinking, okay, you know, eventually I'll want to retire. And so I'm going to do some financial planning. Now, let's take three parallel universes. Parallel universe number one. Let's say that Julia thinks about investing and her first thought is, oh my gosh, no way. I have no interest in investing. Investing is scary. It's risky. I don't want to do it. It's not my thing. You know, fashion is my thing. I don't want to touch investing with a 10-foot pole. 
And so Julia takes the money that's in her 401k and she invests it, so to speak, quote unquote, invests it in very conservative cash-like instruments. This could be a money market fund, or maybe it's something like a CD, a certificate of deposit. You know, maybe every once in a while, Julia buys a CD. And the rate of return on those investments, at least right now, is right around 5%. So let's assume that over the next 35 years, Julia gets, on average, 5% per year on her money. Okay, so fast forward. Julia turns 65 and she has $4.6 million in her for, in her Roth 401k. Oh, and I, I should make an assumption. Julia also saves um, 15% of her income every year. So it's not like she's not saving. She is adding to her 401k every year. She has a really healthy savings rate. And, you know, because of that, because she adds to her 401k and um, because she's saving a lot of money, she ends up at age 65 with $4.6 million in this 401k. And she thinks to herself, okay, great. Um, I'm going to shut down my business and retire. If Julia is getting 5% on her money, she's going to run out of money according to the models and the projections, at age 74. And when I first looked at these numbers and first thought about them, I was totally appalled because, let's just take a step back here. What we're saying is that here's Julia, right? She's a woman who's done everything right. She started a successful business. She has a really healthy income. She saves a large percentage of her money. She puts it in a tax-advantaged retirement account, a Roth 401k. And yet, because she doesn't invest in any stocks or bonds, because she keeps her money in very conservative cash-like instruments, she's actually going to be working until the day she dies. She can't retire if we assume any kind of longevity. And that to me is really striking, right? Because that's not necessarily the story that we're always told. Okay, so parallel universe number two. Let's say that Julia... You know, same fact, same situation. Julia now says, okay, um, I understand that investing is important. And so I am going to invest my savings inside my Roth 401k in a stock index fund. I'm going to buy an S&P 500 index fund that is low cost, which means basically that Julia is going to own um, 500 of the largest U.S. publicly traded companies. And basically, whatever the U.S. stock market does is what Julia's portfolio is going to do. 
let's say that on average, over the next 35 years, Julia makes 8% on her money year in, year out. And at age 65, Julia wakes up and she has $8 million in her Roth 401k, which is great. And with this 8% rate of return, the models say that Julia is going to run out of money at age 90. And just to, again, take a step back here and reflect on this, you know, conceptually, this is kind of the prototypical financial planning story that we are, that we're told, that we're, you know, sort of told to expect. You work hard, you make good money, you set aside a healthy percentage of your savings, you invest it, you invest your savings, your long-term savings in stocks. And around age 65, you can retire and ride off into the sunset. And unless you live to be age 120 or whatever, you pretty much don't have to worry about running out of money. So 8% rate of return, this is kind of aligns with the prototypical financial planning scenario. Okay, alternate universe number three. Julia is an absolute super investor, right? She knocks it out of the park. She's managing her own 401k and she's got a knack for picking good investments and she gets 15% on her money every year. She gets a 15% rate of return. At age 65, Julia is going to have $36 million in her Roth 401k. And then by age 95, Julia is going to have, wait for it, $2.4 billion in her Roth 401k. And if you think about, I guess there, there's inflation in that number, but even in today's dollars, that would be a hundred and it'd be like having $188 million in a Roth 401k. And so the point of the story is that, at least for Julia, her rate of return is the largest driver of her financial circumstances. It's true for all of us. Our rate of return drives our financial situation. The amount of money that we have to spend, to save, to invest, to donate, to do whatever we want to do with. And so, um, big picture, rate of return matters. And the question that maybe coming up here is, okay, how do I learn to invest well? And I think the thing to know um, for the time being is that, you know, it, it pays to get curious about investing. Um, hopefully this is, you know, motivation. I, I certainly found this motivating and I started to learn about investing. And this is kind of what piqued my interest in the whole thing. Um, certainly you're in the right place. We'll talk a lot more about this in future episodes, but bottom line, big picture, 
step three of the financial planning process is invest, invest well, because it is such a large determinant of your financial situation. So big picture, grand summary, um, three steps of the financial planning process. Number one, manifest, manifest the income and the life that you want by working with your subconscious. Step number two of the financial planning process is set yourself up for success by organizing your finances and creating different buckets for different parts of your financial life, different goals that you have. And then step three of the financial planning process is invest because investing really is key to your success. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Women's Investor Community Podcast. Of course, if you have questions about money or your personal finances, please feel free to drop us a voice note from the homepage at dianaritchie.com.